Welcome to the Breathful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're talking about understanding and calming your baby. Babies are constantly and very specifically communicating their needs to us. So what are some of the ways they do that? How can you tune into and translate their messages? And what if you have a baby that needs more help to navigate the world? The fabulous Carrie Conti has answers. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Bebo Mia, offering online training, mentorship, and community for pregnancy, birth, and parenting businesses. Right now, take advantage of their early bird pricing on their doula training when you register by February 19th. Learn more at bebomia.com. This episode of Birthful is also brought to you by Megan Othling, a fabulous birth doula and childbirth educator in Albuquerque who is all about offering women the information and support they need to make their own empowered birth choices. Learn more at womanofvalorbirth.com. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Parents and Parents-to-be. Thanks for listening and for all your messages. If what you hear is helpful, please do take a few minutes to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Facebook or on Google or just tell your friends about it. All of that really helps. All right. Today, I've got a special announcement for any doulas, childbirth educators, and birth professionals in or near Albuquerque, New Mexico. And yeah, I'm looking at you, Santa Fe. I have a fabulous birthday retreat for you guys. I'm doing a special advanced doula workshop on March 31st to talk about rethinking prenatals to support physiology and promote birth ownership. Yes, we will be exploring a new birth model that stops focusing on stages, stations, and centimeters because your body doesn't care about any of that. And this is a model that helps birthing couples really understand what they can be doing right now during pregnancy to make labor flow and really own their births. One where they choose to go deeper into the process instead of being lured out of it by the medical going-ons around them. There is so much good stuff in this workshop. I get excited. Even if you're a seasoned doula, you don't want to miss this. I've had doulas that have been practicing for over 40 years take this workshop and tell me how much they've gotten out of it. I find it's a really a true game changer. So go to birthful.com to register for the Rethinking Prenatals Workshop. Do it now to take advantage of the early bird price. And if you're not a birth professional, but rather a soon-to-be parent and live in or near Albuquerque, then tell your doula and or childbirth, tell, tell them both, your doula and your childbirth educator to take this workshop. The info is at birthfulcourses.com, birthfulcourses.com. It's going to be so much fun. Okay, my guest today is the fabulous Carrie Conti. Carrie, welcome to the show. I'm really happy to have you here today. Mm, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Yay. So we're going to do this a little bit different today, and I'm going to have you um, tell us who you are and how you got into this, came to the side of babies, the baby world. Wonderful. I would love to. So I came, I come to it a little differently than most. Um, my journey did not, uh, I didn't land here because I got pregnant and became a mom and just got, you know, thoroughly enchanted by that whole world. It was uh, more an innate calling that I really tapped into as a little child. So when I was seven, I got the whole, I was always interested in babies. Whenever my mom would bring out the birthday cake from the time I can remember four five, six my wish was that my parents would have a baby because I was just thoroughly like smitten and I just wanted to know what they were about and people would give me dolls and I just, that was not satisfying at all. I needed a baby. So they never had any more children, but um, my neighbors down the street did. And when I was seven, we got to go visit right after this little one was born. And this mom, for whatever crazy reason, put this little person, he was maybe five days old into my arms and there was just this ignition, this sort of feeling that came up through my body and my whole being just sort of lit up with joy that I was like really doing this thing that I was loving. And so for the rest of my time living with my parents from childhood through teenhood, I was the babysitter, mother's helper. I was just with these moms and these children really um, practicing my, you know, observing and getting 
a really clear sense of what it means to grow and to be a parent and all that. Um, but also really, uh, you know, moving toward the bigger work that I would be doing, which I couldn't have even known because none of it existed before. So um, that's where it started. And then I went on to get uh, a master's here at UT in health education. And then I went and got a PhD in prenatal and perinatal psychology from the universe, from a Santa Barbara Graduate Institute. And that's really what I've been doing for the last 45 years. <laughs> I've been studying babies as a child and working on my education as a young adult and practicing with families all over the world as a, um, as a middle-aged adult. Ugh, and what a gift to have that much time with babies and, and from early on and be able to observe them and get to know them so intimate, intimately without the pressure of like having it be your baby that you have to take care of all the time right now. The biggest gift. And even when I went to grad school, I lived with a family. So I moved in, we, we met very serendipitously and I moved in two weeks before these twins were born. And so while I was studying my field, uh, I was living with two little humans and their parents. And I was basically the aloe parent. I was the other mother. And so what was so beautiful was I did everything they did other than breastfeeding, um, including sleeping with the mom during the week because she wanted to be able to nurse and she needed help and her husband had to go to work in the morning. Um, but I wasn't responsible for them beyond their, you know, well-being. It was just pure observation and delight and joy. And so, yeah, I've had a very interesting role in people's lives. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting way to approach it all because I haven't crossed the bridge to parenting, but I've come as close as you possibly can, but I still operate and, and work and, you know, my perception is still from the side of the child because I really do think that once you cross that bridge, you can't actually put yourself in their shoes the same way that you can if you've never crossed the bridge. Mm, that's so interesting. And what I find fascinating, because I, 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 so I am a birth doula, I've been so for about 10 years, and mm -hmm. my daughter's 12. And when I, you know, mm -hmm. I see this a lot of my clients, and I saw it in myself, that once I had a baby, like when I was pregnant and ready to have a baby, I had had very, very, very yeah. little contact with newborns and had right. really almost no idea what to do with them. Right. I think that's common. Yeah. Yeah. And so we always talk about how it would be great if newborns would come with a manual. But now, mm -hmm. fast forward a few years later, and I'm sure you've known this for gazillion years, that they actually kind of do because they're constantly right. and very specifically communicating their needs. So exactly. what are some of the ways they do that? Well, that's a brilliant question. So the, the perspective the the paradigm I operate from, and it's really based in my studies and just my life, is that, um, you know, the old way of thinking was that they arrive as a blank slate and you don't really have a person, you just have a baby. And until they can do all the things that you need to teach them to do to be a person, quote unquote, um, that they're not really there. But what we now know, and I knew this even as a kid, but we now have science to back it up, is that we arrive conscious and that we are what I call the big being in the little body, that even though we can't use the body and we don't have the neurology or the muscle structure to do all the things that the adults or even the kid people do, um, it doesn't mean we're not there and it definitely does not mean we're not communicating meaningfully. So when you do arrive in that very primitive, very small body and you are bringing the awareness of the universe with you, <laughs> um, what they do have is they can make sounds with their voice. They don't speak a language yet that has to be wired and learned and wired in, but they can make different sounds and they also are moving their bodies and they're using their eyes. I mean, they're doing everything they can with the limited capacity that they have to make sure that the people around them get to know them and get to know their cues so that they can communicate and ultimately survive and thrive. Yeah. So can you go a little deeper into that? Or maybe because we want to ultimately talk about tips of and not tips, but ways parents can soothe their babies. And right. 
yeah, observing and learning this new baby language is right. key, but yeah. recognizing those cues is sometimes not very straightforward because we haven't learned, you know, to speak baby just yet. Just like if you were to be dropped in the country, you know, that you don't speak the language, it would take a bit exactly. for you to figure it out. So Exactly. Yeah. So what are some ways that parents can tune into or help, you know, learn this language and figure out those cues and, and to help respond to their babies? Beautiful. So there's kind of two facets and this will, you know, people, you can take this with you through every stage of parenting. There's what you do with the other, what you do with the child, the baby, the, the person, and, and more, and honestly, more importantly, what you do with yourself. So I'll start with self because when it comes to parenting, um, you want to you want to become reflexive and this will take time and it's a skill that you learn over time but you want to at least be aware that really learning how to slow yourself down and and steady yourself and really connect with you in the midst of connecting with another person is really step number one so what we often do in our culture is the baby gets upset or starts crying or does something and we go into reaction and we hold them and we go, oh, you're fine. You're fine. It's okay. It's okay. And we start running the part of our brain that's in reaction. It's, it's, it's usually a lower brain state and it's a part that just wants to make sure it's doing what needs to be done to stop whatever's happening or to help the person. But what is actually more effective both in the short term and the long term, especially in terms of understanding what this person is trying to communicate, because it is a different language in the beginning, is to really, first and foremost, really connect with yourself and really just acknowledge like, ooh, I'm a little revved up. Ooh, I'm a little extra tired right now. Oh, my body is telling me that my stomach's tight. Okay, take a breath. So there's that first step, which is really about the adult, really connecting with the adult before you go toward the other. And when you do that and you start practicing that, what it does is it gets you present and it allows you to be a lot more receptive and open to what this person is communicating. And I think the first thing that parents really need to be remembering is just like with any relationship, especially with a person who doesn't necessarily speak the same language that you speak, it's a, it, it takes time and it, it needs to unfold. And you might have a person arrive and you might feel like, oh, I've known you forever. But you also might have another person, child, arrive, and you might feel like, ooh, I don't really know you yet. But it doesn't mean you're not going to know them. It just means you have to slow a little, you have to slow down and really start to almost be a detective. Just be curious. And if you can really hold that mind state of curiosity of, ooh, who, you know, the, the four questions I invite parents to be asking them, their little people, whether they're in the womb or 55, is who are you? What are you here for? What do you need and how can I help you? And if you hold that curiosity in every phase, you're just going to get a different awareness of the communication than you would if you are looking for something that may or may not be there yet. Hmm. Can you, just because listening is harder than reading, can you repeat those four questions for our listeners? Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, just the big question, who are you? And not just like, oh, you're the seven pound baby who has blonde hair. It's like, no, who are you? Like, what is your, and then what are you here for? So if you operate from this mindset of we come in as conscious beings that are all here to travel on our own path, it's a curiosity that you want to be aware of that you don't know this person yet. And they are a person and you're not making them who they are. You're just going to start relating to who they are um, as you get to know them. So who are you? What are you here for? What do you need? So in terms of, you know, how do you, how do you want to be connected with, you know, what are you needing right now developmentally, but also in the bigger picture, are you somebody who is really tuned into joy? Are you somebody who's really into science? Like, what do you need from me to really thrive and be the, 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 the version of yourself that's the most whole And then the fourth question is, how can I help you? So how can we help you? How can we support you in this early phase of development to really unfold into the person that you're here to be? Mm -hmm. And I so appreciate that shift in perspective from, oh, you're crying, let's stop the cry, to 
like, what are you trying to tell me with the sound that you're making? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. And that requires that self-parenting first, because the reaction, which is very normal and natural to want to fix it or stop it, that that's, that's very, that's wired in, whether it's innate or it's something we learned because of how we were cared for doesn't matter. It's in there, but there's also a way that if we slow ourselves down and we really acknowledge, Oh, you're a tiny little baby person trying to do your best to communicate. I need to slow myself down so I can hear you and I can be present with you. You're going to just unfold a much richer connection. They're going to feel you being present and they're going to appreciate it. And you're going to get to know their cues and their communications a lot more efficiently. You know, it may not, it might still take a little time, but over time, you're going to start really getting it. And you're going to hear a little bit of a distinction between a hungry cry and a wet cry. Or you're going to notice when they've been playing for a few minutes and they start rubbing their eyes that they're trying to let you know that they need a break and they need you to regulate and, the, and get them to a nap sooner than maybe if you don't notice that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you... How I came to know about you was through mm-hmm. a book that you co-wrote, which is called Calms, A Guide to Soothing Your Baby. Yeah. And you have some steps there on how to soothe the baby. And, and, and it talks about, you know, what we've been mentioning right now of first connect with yourself, figure out yourself, and then yep. be, you know, curious and open to listen to baby. Yep, exactly. I, so the... Yeah, go ahead. Keep, no, say? keep going. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I've sort of, you know, alluded to what I'm about to say, which is the book, which is, you know, so it's C-A-L-M-S. The C stands for check in with yourself. So like I said, old paradigm, oh, you're a baby who is crying and that needs to be fixed. Oh, sh- 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 you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Don't worry, little baby. You're fine. Um, that's not actually acknowledging that person that's that's coming from the perspective of you're an upset baby I'm the adult I need to fix it that doesn't that's fine sometimes it works but usually it doesn't really give the deeper connection that you're looking for so with this protocol the first step isn't to deal with the baby it's just to check in with yourself and then the a stands for allow a breath So when the little person's alarm goes off and you're going to them, if you can just take one to 10 seconds just to go, oh, wow, I'm revving. I've got a lot going on in me because this little person's upset. Okay, let me take a breath and just try to slow myself down because I know that this person is reading my energy because little baby humans are tuned into their caregivers and they feel the energy. They don't just hear your words. They feel how you're feeling. So if you come to them with a lot of anxiety they're going to get more alarmed because they were just upset because they're hungry. But now the person who's here to care for them is all revved up. They are looking for somebody to communicate on a very primal level. I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. I'm, I'm, you might be feeling that I'm a little off, but I'm taking what I need. I need to, I'm doing what I need to do to slow myself down and really get present with you. So those are the first two steps. And you could be holding a baby. It doesn't mean you're in the other room taking 10 minutes to meditate. It literally is just doing it while you're interacting with this person, but making that just a conscious first step. So it's C, check in with yourself, A, allow a breath. Those are the things you do for yourself. Then what you do with the little one is L, listen, and mirror, and they go hand in hand. So, you know, crying, crying, crying little person, instead of going, oh, you're fine, you're fine, shush, 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 you go, oh, you're sad, you're, you're showing me, you're crying, I see you. So you're listening, and then you're mirroring back, mirroring back what you're seeing. Even if you don't know what it means, you're just acknowledging, I'm with you, and I'm, I'm seeing where you're at. And then S is just soothe. So, you know, you do do the five S's that um, Harvey Karp might talk about, the soothing, swinging, all that stuff. Um, you might have to change them. You might see them. You might walk outside. You might bounce on the bouncy ball and try to settle them. But if you take these four steps first, not only are you getting more present so that you're going to be more impactful in the moment in communicating to them and their nervous system that all is well and that they're safe, but you're also modeling 
for them long term uh, uh, the ability to emotionally regulate themselves in healthy ways. Mm. And there's so it's both. Yeah, so much value in that. I always found that for for me as a parent, whenever I put a voice to my child, yeah. then yeah. things were easier for me to figure out what they were doing because it and it also mm. made me like observe right so it's like oh I can see what you're you, you were just talking about this of saying like oh I can see you're you know squeezing your hands you're fisting your hands exactly. and you're shaking yep. them and, and it looks your face is all crunched up it seems like right. you're upset yeah like, oh, okay brilliant what's making you upset so that just giving them a voice a running commentary <laughs> was yeah, always really helpful doing. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm really aware that, you know, and I've been around babies long enough that there's some little people that I narrate a lot of what I'm doing and I'm interacting with them in the early weeks and months a lot. But I absolutely also know that there are some little humans that that's not the impulse. And I think that's more me reading their their cues and their maybe their personality. I mean, you know, a lot of times in those first six weeks, you're not using your words as much as you, you know, the, the, the typical educators might say, oh, you know, narrate everything you're doing. I do think that if you're feeling that impulse, like go with it. But if you're feeling like you just want to give little tidbits, but you're more communicating with your body language, like honor that, like don't override something that feels more instinctual because you'll get there. But I do think that it really, you know, if you were in a brand new country and you didn't speak the language and didn't know what was going on around you at all, having people who physically felt calm to you and not every second, you're not going to be calm every second, but if they were actively attempting to keep themselves steady and more emotionally regulated, that would feel, and then also we're taking the time to communicate with you, even if you didn't know their language you would feel safe with them in a different way than if they were just thinking, well, until you can do all the things that we do, we're not going to really treat you like a person. Nobody right. would feel good in that scenario. Right. And it would be very stressful because you had this totally added stressful. pressure of, right. you know, it's on you and you're doing all you can. Yeah, literally. They're doing everything they can. And believe me, look at how fast. I mean, I have never learned to speak a new language in basically three years while I'm trying to triple my body size and do all the things that a little human does. And so, you know, if we can help them out mainly by giving them information about what's going on, but even more importantly, by tuning into ourselves so that what we communicate through our bodies to them feels safe and, you know, like, connected that's a really big giant gift mm. and it's a gift to yourself too because you're then setting the foundation for the way you communicate with your child that is an exactly. open path that as Correct. they grow you know get into those tween and teenage years you if you have through up to that point have had this sort of very connected communication mm -hmm. they're exactly. not going to be shutting you out as much I think I agree. I really do. I think that if we treat my experience, because I've been at this professionally, you know, beyond my babysitting years, I've been doing coaching and counseling and all the stuff that I do for now almost 20 years. You know, so I've watched people grow up from babyhood through now young adulthood. And um, it works. You know, this stuff is meaningful that you don't just all of a sudden, you don't get to just treat them like a blob and then, you know, hope that when they're 15 that you have a good relationship the, the foundation not only gets set early on but it has to be maintained and it has to be practiced for the all the years and that's how you attain the quality adult adult relationship that most people really think they're going for when they have kids and you know nobody gets into it to go oh I hope I get 15 years where I can tell this person what to do and then we don't have a relationship anymore that's not the point the point is you put the energy in up front and you create these respectful, empathetic, boundaried relationships with tons and tons and tons of love and joy for the first 15 to 20 years. And then you get possibly 40 to 60 years adult, adult, where you all really communicate well. Mm -hmm. And you're also sort of setting the foundation of how they communicate with other people 
teaching them that. Exactly. So you're right. not only having a good, real, better relationship between the two of you, but you're giving them the gift of better relationships with people around them. Totally. And you're also setting them up to be very um, discerning about the relationships that they have. So if they get a model of healthy, respectful relationships growing up, they're going to be very much drawn. They're going to have mental models that are going to be drawn to those kinds of relationships. And when they step into ones that aren't that way, they're going to have an alarm system goes off that says, this doesn't feel right. I'm out. Versus when you don't get cared for in these ways, you might have a more of a predilection of going towards things you got that may or may not be what's the healthiest for you going forward. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I find also as a parent, you know, you're one of the goals that most parents have <laughs> is I will not say these things that my parent or I'm going to be different from my mom or, yeah. you know, I will yeah. never say this is my house. These are my rules, like whatever phrase yeah. that's there deep inside your brain. Right. And from experience, sadly, I can say then that when I've been reacting yeah. rather than stopping and communicating in a more healthy way. That's mm -hmm. the, those are the things that come out, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is all because of our brain wiring. I mean, it, 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 it's our inner voice, you know, our parents' voice becomes our inner voice. That's, you know, Dan Siegel says that um, Peggy O'Mara has said that, that the way you talk to your child is the way they're going to talk to themselves once they get into adulthood. So, when you are the only thing that most of the people in our culture base parenting on is how they were parented. So they're operating from these tapes that they might not even know they're in there until they have children. But the good news is it doesn't mean it's a life sentence. You can change those tapes. You just have to get more conscious and shine the light and say, okay, I noticed that I did that. I don't want to do that. So what can I do instead and that might happen very instinctively and you might be able to make that shift really easily or you might need to get support and, and really embark on some learning. So that's what I do. I teach people, you know, from prenatal to college how to really um, be the conscious. I give people the how-tos of conscious parenting, not just the philosophy, but the real practicals. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, and, and so needed because we we. We don't really get that, right? We were not taught this any which, any other way. And I think right now, people are starting to tune in and be more mindful in all ways because life is yeah. just too overwhelming. We don't yes. get that pause so much. Exactly. So we have to create it. And then we also have to really be thoughtful because I think what I'm waking up to, and I think the people that at least in my world is... Um, recognizing that there's no right way to do things. You know, I think a lot of us were raised in a time where, you know, you come into this world and your parents do things the way they do them and you don't really question them. And then maybe you move into young adulthood and you start looking out and seeing, oh, there's other ways to do it. I need to find the right way, quote unquote. And then you get a little older and you realize, oh, there's no right way. There's just the way that feels right and good and aligned for me and if you take that into family life, it really changes the game because it doesn't, you're not looking for how do I be the best parent? You're looking for how do I be the most me so that I can relate to these humans that I love in a way that really honors who they are. Mm. That is huge. I want to put that in a t-shirt and a plaque. <laughs> <laughs> I want to frame that right That's there. awesome. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Carrie, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, but when we go, come back, I want to talk. I want to go into the baby's mind. I want to dig deeper into what's going on in there. Let's do it. The spring 2018 registration is open for the Bibomia doula training, and that means it is early bird pricing time. Get $250 off when you register by February 19th. This works on payment plans too. Their comprehensive doula training is all taught live in their online classroom so you can learn from anywhere in the world. This 13-week all-in-one fertility, birth, and postpartum doula training provides you with hands-on learning and lets you go at your own pace. The program comes with a private support group so you can meet other birth pros and talk to your instructors 24-7. Bebo Mia offers all their programs online so you can do them from home, no daycare and no travel time. 
The payment plan options make this a manageable investment in your career. Your training will pay for itself with just one client, and they will help you get that client. The instructors are fun, diverse, and inclusive, and cover topics not found in any other doula training. Check out their reviews on Facebook and go to bebomia.com for more info and to take advantage of the early bird pricing, get it before February 19th. That's bebomia.com, B-E-B-O-M-I-A.com. And we're back. So, Carrie, okay, what is going on in a brand new baby's brain those first few weeks, first few months? What should parents know about those early stages? Um, well, I love this question as well. This is one of my favorite questions. So we know more than ever about brain development and probably it's, you know, a, a thimble full of information from, from what we will know down the road. But right now, it's, it is an exciting time to be a parent because, like I said, we used to think that there was nobody home, that until they had myelination and all these big words, that they weren't really remembering anything and they weren't really going to be the doing the human thing, quote unquote, human things yet. But um, what we know now is that they arrive from the womb. And they have all the brain structures and all the neurons that they'll ever need to connect up and do all the things that'll be making them sing and dance and do art and read and all the cool stuff that we do as humans. But they don't come pre-wired, that we arrive and we've got all the wiring in place, but nothing's connected. And the reason for that is, well, and that's not true, about 20% is connected and it's the brain stem, which is our survival brain. And the reason for that is a couple of reasons. One is we arrive out of the womb um, earlier than most mammals would in terms of development uh, because our our heads get too big. We have to come out. Um, And number two, probably and more importantly, in terms of evolution, we wouldn't want to wire in there for things that we aren't going to be using. So basically, the little one comes out with just enough wiring to communicate survival, like, am I safe or not safe? And if I'm safe, I'm quiet. And if I'm not safe, I'm in fight or flight. So I'm crying or moving my body or trying to get you to get get somebody um, to know that I'm not feeling safe and I need help. They've got that wiring at birth. But beyond that, they don't come out pre-wired to connect. They don't come out pre-wired to speak a language. And like I said, it's actually brilliant because it's it's a use it or lose it system. So it's waiting for the environment that the person comes into to really help them shape what, what gets connected so that they're going to be the most efficient chance of them surviving and thriving. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. So, go right. ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so once they get out and they're here for about six weeks, they're basically just operating from that reptilian brain state. Now, don't forget what I said early on, there is a being in there. So they're not not home, but they just aren't wired to express it yet. So in a way, it's a little bit like somebody who's had a stroke where they're in there and they're experiencing the world and they're getting information through the senses and they're making connections, but they're not able to express very much. And so you really want to honor the being and treat them like a person, but you also want to honor the primitiveness of their of their um, physical experience in those moments. Okay. So how do you do that? Well, I think a couple of, re- a couple of ways. One is you recognize that they've been inside of this person, whether it's the mother who's caring for them or somebody else, for nine months, and that's the environment they've known. So they come out. And they don't know what they're coming into. They don't know what's going on here. They have to learn. And so you want to offer them um, a sense of safety, physical and emotional safety, first and foremost, so that they can emerge almost from this fourth trimester. So if you can give them that first six weeks and then another six weeks to really start to land in their physical experience on Earth, and really imagine yourself almost as their ambassador slash, you know, trusted caregiver, that your job is to really try to communicate to them you're safe and here's this place that we're in and we're going to get you oriented to the smells and the scents and the um, sights and the sounds in a way that 
really honors how vulnerable and, and, you know, overwhelmed you can get. So there's a lot about attuning to this little person and really trying to help um, regulate when they're exposed to lots of stimulation, recognizing that they might need you to pull them in and, and wear them or keep them nice and close. And also not racing ahead and thinking, well, you've been out here three months, you better self-soothe or else I'm going to, you know, create a monster. Like that's a crazy way of thinking. We have to be really, really, really honoring of the fact that this person doesn't know this world and it's our job to really earn their trust. And the way that you earn their trust is to make sure that you're doing what you can to communicate to them that they're safe and that they're, what they're communicating matters and that you're working on getting connected and trying to learn each other uh, you know, with patience and a lot of love. Carrie, you mentioned six weeks and six weeks. And I, yep. I so what happens, like, um, <laughs> that, that seems foreshadowing. What happens <laughs> at the first six weeks and then at the second six weeks that makes a big difference? Yeah, so much. It's crazy. So, all right, this little one, you know, seven-ish pounds, obviously there's ranges, but let's just say like an average little human comes out at about seven pounds. And like I said, they're not pre-wired other than to take in information through their senses and let the people, let anybody know, am I safe or am I not safe? Can you help me if I'm not safe? Can you just make sure I stay alive? Oh, my belly is saying I need food. Ah, alarm goes off and they're really just in reaction to life and hoping for the best. <laughs> so that's the first six weeks. And then at about six weeks, sometimes on the dot for many little people, if they arrived on their, basically their due date, um, there's a lot that happens in those first six weeks that is really helping them adjust to breathing and adjust to digestion and adjust to, you know, having a life outside the womb. And then at six weeks, there's something that happens in the brain where we move into the, the, the one up, level of our brain, which is our limbic system. So I operate with the triune brain. Um, that's the parent, the, that's the brain system that I help parents understand is this three part brain. So first that's wired is that reptile brain, that brainstem, that's survival. Then the second brain is all about attachment and connection and emotion. So they're still not using words, but similar to mammals, they're using you know, eye contact. So at six weeks, almost to the day, you've got this little human who all of a sudden is making eye contact and you're, you know, almost feeling like they finally are here because those first six weeks, it's too much for their little system to be sustaining eye contact. But at six weeks, they really open that door. And that's when you, you know, so you're, you're bonding with them for the first six weeks, but then at, at those, once they hit six weeks, you really start a whole new journey with them where you're really starting the relationship. And you do start learning their communication with a little more skill and a little more depth in terms of, oh, you're looking at me. Okay, now you're looking away. That was too much. Okay, next time I'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go home a little sooner or things like that. And so, you know, what I love reminding people and I love um, T. Barry Brazelton. He has a book called Touch Points that I think is just a classic because what it helps you understand is that development is not linear that you just acquire and get more skilled. It's a few steps forward and then a few steps back and then, um, and then you make a leap. And so at a little before two weeks, a little before six weeks, a little before three months, a little before four months, a little before six months, a little before nine months, you could have dysregulation, disequilibrium where you might've had a, a great eating and sleeping pattern um, going. And then all of a sudden it's all crying and eating or not eating. And really, if you, if you understand development, you realize that's necessary for the leap that they're evolving to this new version of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so you want to be aware of that because it could be where you start thinking like our typical culture would say, Oh no, there's a problem. I need to get help and fix it. But really, if you understand human development and you understand the milestones and you understand that they're actually necessary for the growth that they're moving into and the new phase that they're going to add, the new facet of themselves that they're going to explode into, you really start to welcome more of those challenging times. Or at least you don't fear them and think erroneously, I need to fix this. 
And yeah. you really just start to celebrate. Ooh, I wonder what's coming because wow, it's six, it's week five, and you're up nursing many more times than you were a week ago. Okay, nothing's wrong. You're just getting ready for that six week burst, and we're going to get a little more interaction from you. How exciting! Mm-hmm. So, what happens at twelve weeks? So what I see at 12 weeks is a few things. One is physically they start, you know, they might. And again, everybody is different. So I like to give hallmarks, but I also like to invite people to not get stuck in, oh, my baby isn't doing that. But really, you know, there's some rhythms and whether it it happens at five weeks or, you know, whether, I mean, whether it happens at 10 weeks or 14 weeks or 15 weeks, it doesn't matter. We're just looking at like hallmarks and rhythms of change at three months. Um, a lot of little ones start to roll over or they start to move their body. They start to see and play with things and grab things. That's a little more in the four-month range, but that's certainly there. They start vocalizing a lot differently than they had been. They might be a little more amenable to a little tummy time. You know, you could have you could be practicing tummy time for a month and that little one can only stand it for two to five seconds and then they have to be picked up. But then one day, maybe around three months, you put them down and all of a sudden they're they're into it and they're like, oh, this is fun now. And a lot of it has to do with just the fact that they're more mature and they can hold themselves up a little differently and it feels more safe to be able to do that. So those would be some of the biggies. I think that, um, yeah, I think it's like verbal, you know, vocalization. So you hear those little squeals, which are just like melt your heart, crazy, wonderful um, they become a little more awake to the world. So you might be out and they might make note of, you know, a stranger a little differently, or they might watch a kid on a swing a little differently than they had prior to that. Uh, they definitely start moving their bodies in new ways, rolling over and maybe holding themselves up a little bit when they're on their tummy. Um, and, you know, if you pay a lot of attention, you could really start having some sweet little conversations with them. Mm. And I find I hear a lot like this three months, 12 weeks thing where it's we, we hear a lot about the fourth trimester. So that would take mm-hmm. you over to that three month. That's um, right. Mm-hmm. And I hear from a number of parents that in particular feel that their child that they got like, I mean, you know, one of those perfect angel childs that, that were sleeping through the night the first few weeks and right. doing all those things, quote unquote, perfectly right because we know that there's no right. So what we've been been conditioned to think of as right. Um, And then three months shows up and everything falls apart. Right. Is that... Right. And and that's, I think some of it is the development. I think some of it is just this, you know, they, they have to discombobulate to be able to get to the next set of skills. So that's really important to be aware of. I think it's also a time when parents are really feeling the sleep deprivation it's you know I mean I think that you by three months you're you're a little not a little a lot can be a lot overdone if if you've been really in it with with a with a little person who needs a lot and they just do need a lot some are a little more easygoing than others but most little tiny baby humans um, are needing a lot of both your physical attention but also your emotional energy and so I think, you know, what, what parents really have to pay attention to, and this is probably the crux of my message at any age, is because you're the regulator, because you're the one steadying, that these little humans don't come with a nervous system that can regulate their emotional experience yet. It takes a very, very long time, some say 21 to 25 years. Um, so in those first weeks and months, you have to be very aware that you're giving not just your physical energy with your, you know, by not sleeping and giving them food and all that, but they actually are requiring your emotional energy to manage the emotional ups and downs that are inevitable for their development. And so what I tell people is you want to, you want to subscribe to this idea or at least experiment with it where you want to, as soon as you can, and it might mean it, it might mean a 10 second thing, or it might mean a five minute thing at first, you want to be 51% more attuned to your own well-being than the giving that you're doing. And that's, I'm just asking people to be 1% more that you are giving, 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 but really the biggest message you're giving this little person is regulation. And so if you can, um, 
really stop and just be checking in on yourself and having little micro practices that get you a little more juice in your cup, you really want to be very mindful of that because you could easily just turn around and realize like you're beyond depleted and most people do get there. And it doesn't mean even if you know this stuff that you're not going to get depleted, but you just want to become more tuned in to the fact that, Oh, I have to keep you regulated. So I have to make sure that I'm staying even a little bit regulated in myself or else, or else we're all going down. And it's much harder to get everybody back. If both, if everybody goes off the cliff. Mm -hmm. And I think, that's huge, and, and and we've talked about it, you know, through in, in this time we've been talking, it's come up over and over again. That, but it can't be said enough. I find that importance no, of of the it can't pause, be said enough. yeah, of of taking the time to absorb, to integrate, to just give, yeah. you know, self care. Because I find already in our day to day lives, we tend to run on on too much like on a little bit yeah. overstimulated right and then you add a baby and sleeplessness for three months right yes and that's a recipe for just things going very wrong and we see it right, right? the, the totally. postpartum mood disorder statistics are telling us that no duh things are falling apart right right Right. And some of that is just, unfortunately, the nature of how we do family life. We didn't evolve in isolation. We had sisters and grandmothers and cousins and people around us in tribes for, you know, all but 100-ish years of our 250,000 years of evolving as humans. And so one of the reasons why this can get so achy and hard is because as adults, we're trying to do something that we didn't really do as kids. You know, many women like yourself were never around babies until they had one, but we're also trying to do it when a little human needs more nervous systems than just one person all day. And maybe another person that comes in in the evening and from work. And so, you know, finding your tribe and spending time with other moms and finding your aloe parents like I did and having the eight year old that comes over and, hold your little one while you make dinner, like, don't scrimp on that, because that's not you being less, um, what's the word like that, you know, it doesn't mean you're, you're at a deficit, it means you're actually operating from what's very inherent to our nature, by being around others, mm. while you're caring for these little ones who need so much energy, in order to both regulate and grow. Yeah. And then, and that def your definition of parenting or the parent that you are is not defined by the amount of time that you give your child. Exactly. Right. And that, you know, if you're a spun out mom, but you're thinking, oh, well, but I'm with my child all the time, I should get, I should figure this out versus somebody who says, all right, I'm the boat steadier. If the boat gets wobbly and I need help steadying it, that's okay because it doesn't matter. And if I need to step away and get some space and then come back and I'm fresher, the little, the little people, they don't, they don't, they would rather have you less, but you more present and more emotionally regulated than a spun out parent who never steps away and doesn't know how to, you know, get refilled. Like they can handle it. They just want adults who can communicate you're safe and you're, you know, you're amazing and we love you and we're delighting in you. And it's harder to do that because of where you are in your brain when you get too overdone. So as stress goes up, the brain goes down and it would be nice if we didn't have to recharge ourselves to be more human and more conscious in our very special human brain that gets developed, you know, starting at, you know, nine, 10 months and then continues to develop as we grow. But as adults, you know, if you don't recharge and you're helping another person build their brain, you're going to you're going to run out of steam and you're going to move into the parts of your brain that are more crispy and cranky and then ultimately potentially, you know, guilt ridden or depressed all because of the energy in and the energy out. It's not a it doesn't mean it's something wrong with you. It just means, oh, wow, I didn't realize how much energy this was all going to take. I need some help. I need somebody helping me get energy in my system so that I can give the energy that this person is wired into need from me. Mm. I, I absolutely love that. That's basically the number one way to calm and care for your baby is calming and caring for yourself. 
Yay! Exclamation point. You just said everything that I'm trying to teach the universe right now. New t-shirt. We have two t-shirts today. (laughs) So now, just because I, I, my brain needs closure because that's how I function. You mentioned so the three-part brain system, the reptile Mm -hmm. comes on right away, the limbic sort of steps in around six weeks. What is the third one and when does it come on? The third one is that human neocortex that's only, as far as we know, uh, you know, it's very specialized to us humans. It allows for language and rational thought and consciousness and all the cool stuff that allows us to be uniquely human. Um, And that part is really kicks into starting to wire up, you know, somewhere around nine months when they're starting to sign, use sign language and communicate a little bit, you know, whether it's non-verbally or not, but it's a definite shift. It's when they get upright and they start to creep and crawl and move. And then it's also, um, you know, when, when language just starts. And so what everybody needs to know is that these three parts of the brain are not they're, they're, it, It's not a linear, it's not like you're reptile and then all of a sudden you feel safe and you never have to feel that unsettledness again. And then you're a mammal and then you're fine and you're not a mammal anymore. And then you're a human. You're actually all three. And the, where you are in your brain, which, which brain state you're operating from has everything to do with the amount of energy and the amount of emotional energy in your, your nervous system. So if you are rested and fed and you've got, you know, good support and you've had fun with your friends and you've been outside and you've filled your tank and you have energy to draw on to give to your little one and to take care of yourself. However, if you start to get depleted and you still have a little one who needs from you and you still have people that need you to do stuff and you still have a home to take care of and a job to go to, it's very likely that you're going to start feeling less human and you're going to get more anxious and you're going to get more crispy and you're going to get more short and you're going to start having the gremlin voices, as I like to call them, popping up. And then when you fall off the cliff and you flip your lid and you're really out of it, that's when you're in your, your own fight or flight brain. And so as you help wire somebody's brain, which you're doing as a parent to this little person, they're not just hearing your words, they're reading your brain states. And so it's, you know, I, I, when I first started my work, I had a little tagline, a shirt, a t-shirt that said, um, or I wanted to make that said, self-care is not a luxury. It's a necessity that if you understand the brain and the nervous system and human development on this very, um, you know, this, this neurological level, you realize that it's imperative that people are aware of how their brain is working and what they're needing to not stay in their human brain because nobody can, but to return to it regularly so that they're operating from that highest level, which is the level that allows for you to operate from this more conscious parenting perspective, because everything else got wired in there, the old ways and the way you got parented, that all still lives, but it's usually in that lower brain wiring. So if you're falling into that brain wiring because you're not taking care of yourself, it is harder to parent in the way that probably feels right to you now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's a great opportunity that we have right now by realizing all, th- all these things to break with the pattern, shift a paradigm, and move into just a healthier, conscious lives. Yeah, I would agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're going for here. I think that my my interest in babies and human development was definitely about being around little people, but I also think it was very much spurred by this very innate passion for a big jump in our consciousness. And so in my, in my spirit, I think I kind of knew coming in on some level that the quickest route to us evolving as a species is if we can change some of the stuff that's innately been happening for maybe thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years with the tiniest people that, you know, once the neurology is set up, it's harder to change. But if you know this stuff early on and you even make a millimeters worth of shift in how you operate and you just said, I'm not doing anything different other than treating this person as a person, 
and taking a little bit of a better care of myself than maybe my parents did, you're going to see a quantum leap in both who these people are and how they manage their own emotions and how they handle life and people around them. But you're just going to have a way different and more connected relationship with yourself and them as well. So why would we not try for this? Mm, Absolutely. One thing I didn't want to have slipped through the cracks, my last question Mm -hmm. here is... We talk, We hear a lot about babies' temperament, and we know they come mm-hmm. in with their own personality, and they're already kind of, you know, you, you see it, the, and I see it. They, they, you know, even in the belly, the way they do things. Yep, they come <laughs> who they are, yep. They exactly. are already. So yep. what about for those parents that ha- have a little person join them that's a little bit more spirited or high needs? How can they recognize that? if that applies to their baby, and what are some things to keep in mind um, in terms of soothing, calming, and living with that little one? Yeah, that's such a great question. So, yeah, you're going to get to know this person and really listen to the, the little signs that you're hearing, even in the womb, but after birth. You know, if you've got a little one who is really upset a lot, then you really want to use that as a cue of knowing, okay, this little person is wobbly. This person just right now, and who knows where it's going, but whether they just aren't comfortable being in this little body or something is happening in their little body that's hard for them to handle, or they're just genuinely overwhelmed by what's coming at them because their nervous system just doesn't know how to handle it. And there's just a lot that we are exposing little people to that we don't even notice because we're we're habituated to so much so if you do have a little one who is easily dysregulated easily upset um a few things one is nature that you want to get outside and you want to be moving your body with that little person on you if you can wear them in a sling or a carrier that can be really helpful um prior to that you want to become even more committed to tuning into yourself and filling your cup because they're going to drain it a lot faster than maybe another little person might. And so, you know, if you've got a little one who's very easily upset, you know, we call it colic, whether that's what's going on or not. Um, You know, a little person who's just clearly showing you that they're not feeling safe and steady yet in their body. It's, it's really important that the people caring for that little person, and ideally it's more than one person, it's a whole team of people who are pretty regulated and calm can communicate to that little one, you're safe, you're safe, you're safe, you're safe. You know, really that's what they're needing is really that reassurance that, you know, they're safe. And then you wait and see who they are. They might be somebody that ends up, you know, needing to be running a few miles a day And when they're in that little body and they can't do that yet, it's just super frustrating. But once they get going, they're like ready to roll and they're happy as a clam. So I'm really big on not labeling. I mean, you can acknowledge, wow, you're having a really hard time and I hear you, but I'm not a fan of saying, oh, you're a fussy baby. That's not fair. I don't think that's fair to anybody because you don't know who this person is yet. You're just getting to know them. And you might say, wow, you're having a hard time. I need to slow it down so that I can at least provide an environment. I'll do my best to provide an environment that isn't overstimulating to your already overstimulated self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where, like, so my um, my Venezuelan origins and my Sp- Spanish language speaking origins come in and say, like, English really is is missing that extra mm. verb on to be because we've got two verbs for to be. One is mm. intrinsic, and the other one is conditional. So while you may be, you know, a a, a woman, say. You're yeah. being happy. They're two different verbs because the the oh, happy verb. I is, never thought of it that way. Yeah, it's 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 estar, which is transient, and you might be happy one day, and you know it doesn't define who you are. Mm. Whereas the other one, soy, does. <laughs> like that's who you are. Wow, that's right? so brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I am happy versus I am a woman are totally different things. One is a state, and one is is a fact. In you know. I mean, yeah, and I guess I am a person because nowadays we're saying I am exactly. a woman. Is, yeah. I was so, just going to say, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That doesn't work anymore. But yes, exactly. I live in a house. Ha- yeah, I am in a house. I could say that is true right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, 
And even so I love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, be, and it's important to always, I yes, not label your baby and just identify with what's going on, and understand that babies don't need extra stimulation. You don't need exactly. the whistles and the oh my gosh, right? You do. Oh, and that's a great point. Is if you do have somebody that is easily upset, you want to minimize anything extra. So you want to have the TV off around them. You want to not be playing with the toys that make a ton of noise. Like go outside and let nature do its thing. Like really, I I mean. Obviously, you know, you, you might watch TV and, and do that. But if you know that little person is easily stimulated, just remember they can't tune out things. And so if you're dealing with somebody who's easy, like very high needs and very sensitive, you want to make sure you're doing what you can to not in, add to that with the environment that you're in. And so, you know, you might keep the lights lower. You might keep sounds lower. You might not play music, even though you somebody told you, oh, play music around your baby. It's important. You got to really tune in. And if you've got somebody that easily overstimulates, you want to be hypersensitive to experimenting with trying to minimize that versus like just going business as usual and calling it colic and seeing if it changes without it doing anything. That's not fair to that person or you. Mm, yeah, and then you get into like medication and different right. things that exactly are not yeah. with a that yeah. are an easy fix. <laughs> right, then you try to fix and try to fix from the outside in versus changing the, the feeling tone of the experience for yourself and the little one. You know, if you've got a high needs person, really look at yourself and notice what am I doing? Am I feeling fritzy? Am I feeling antsy? Am I having you know? Am, what do I need to get myself so that I am at least moderately steady for this little person who can't do that for themselves at all. Yeah. Yeah. It was really eye-opening for me to consider that concept of the fourth trimester that during those, you know, it's helpful during those first few weeks to think this little kid would love to still be in the womb. Yes, exactly. How can I recreate that? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And, you know, things are not loud in there. I mean, there's, droney noises like your body sounds that are very methodical that are very loud but there's not man-made noises you know even the refrigerator that we don't even hear when you're a brand new person that and the flicker of the lights those are like being on a fun house ride in a carnival to their little systems Mm. Mm. yeah yeah i mean they see black and white so anything that's high contrast like that little bit of light that's coming through the window past yeah, the shades right oh, right it's so interesting and exciting right. and stimulating right exactly <laughs> and that's the other thing you got a person and so a lot of people come in and they're ready to roll and they're excited about life but this little body can't handle what they're capable on a mind level maybe or on a consciousness level of handling so in some ways, they're overdoing themselves out of pure curiosity. And mm. so those little ones, you really just want to honor and say, you know what, little person, you're going to get a bigger body soon, and you're going to be able to do all the stuff that you're excited to do. But right now, I have to really help you stay contained and really help regulate and not not add to what you're already experiencing because you're so curious and excited about life. Yeah, that was my baby. She wouldn't sleep, and she was so frustrated until she got right. mobile. Once right. she once exactly. she could move. And then she was good to go. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a hard thing for most of us to wrap our brains around because we don't operate in a culture that thinks this way. But I mean, really, if you put yourself in their little little diapers, their little shoes, you would realize, man, that's a really frustrating state to be in to be able to know that there's things out there that you're excited about, but you don't know how to access them or do them or even move your body yet. And that can create a little person who is very upset and doesn't know how to regulate and doesn't sleep well. So the key there is not to try to add more or change what's going on to the little one. You just want to get really slow and low and try to, to, to bring a little more spaciousness to the life in general that you're offering this person and then trust that they're going to get what they need as they grow. Mm. I love that slow and low. Just pause mm-hmm. slow and low. Yeah, all the simple stuff. Uh, Carrie, 
Thank you so much for this fantastic conversation today. Mm. If people want to connect with you, follow you, like get your Calms book, anything, like what can they do? They can go to my website. It's kerryconti.com and you can sign up for my newsletter. And I don't send much, but I do send some goodies now and again. Uh, you can connect with me on Facebook. It's Carrie Conti PhD. Uh, and you can email me hello at kerryconti.com. Uh, and if that's, if you do want a calm book or if you want to order a bunch of them, I have them. So, uh, just email me and we'll make that happen. Fantastic. So it's just hello at kerryconti.com. Spell kerryconti.com. I will. It's C-A-R-R-I-E. And then my last name is Conti, C-O-N-T-E-Y. Beautiful. And I'll put those links in the show notes as well. But for those who are just listening on the go, there you go. Yay. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I'm really grateful for the time and the attention and the questions. And I love what you're doing. So thank you. Mighty Ones, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful. So come say hi. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at Expectful. To best support this podcast, support its sponsors and get discounts while you're at it. Go to expectful.com slash birthful to get a free two-week trial. Also, if you're a birth professional in or near Albuquerque, New Mexico, then go to birthfulcourses.com to sign up for my Rethinking Prenatals workshop on March 31st. I'd love to meet you and talk birthy stuff. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Also, the Birthful Podcast is part of the Parents on Demand Network. Find out more at parentsondemand.com. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.